parable. We can see how incredible Jesus is at teaching and perhaps even stand back and admire the craft of teaching because Jesus has built a very clever logic trap for us. There is a logic trap in this parable that is so clever, so interesting. Here's the logic trap. As soon as we point the finger at the arrogant Pharisee and say, we would never do that, then we are the Pharisee being arrogant and comparing ourselves and making ourselves out to be better, right? It's a bit of a setup, so let's break it down and see if we can find our way out of this trap. Jesus told his parable, this is what we just heard, Jesus told his parable to some who trusted in themselves. There's key, a key. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded other people with contempt. So let's define contempt. Contempt is that feeling that a person or a thing is beneath you is beneath your consideration. It is worthless by comparison to you. It even deserves your scorn, or they deserve your scorn. That's what it means to feel contempt. And I wonder if contempt, that feeling of being more than and looking down arrogantly, is not at the heart of much of the violence in society and within our hearts. I think it might even be our original sin. I know many of you learned that original sin was something else. But I think it might be our original sin to trust in ourselves and then think we are better than somebody else. Because right away in the Garden of Eden, you've got Adam and Eve thinking, oh, we know better than God. We can, we can trust ourselves on this. Sure, God said that, but let's just trust ourselves on this one. And then you've got Cain and Abel right up next. You've got a brother jealous of another brother, feeling contempt and scorn, and then murdering his own brother. There's also contempt for self, feeling as though you cannot compare with others, as though you are worthless and deserving of scorn, which would be the other side of this particular original sin coin. Feeling better than, feeling lesser than. There it is. Now the sinful impulse that we have to feel contempt for ourselves or others is not really original in that it's unusual or unique. In fact, it's so unoriginal that we all have plenteous experience of it. So Jesus continues with this parable. Two people go up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. One is a well-born and privileged person, educated and upstanding type in the community. And the other one is penitential. One is flourishing and one is struggling. One is perhaps the tax collector extorting his own people for cash which might create a kind of suffering for himself as well. So the Pharisee, the one who was flourishing, prays like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Can you imagine doing that at Thanksgiving dinner? All right, kids, let's hold hands and pray. God, we thank you that our family is not like other families. We are so much better, aren't we? 
we have this and we don't do that and we're so upstanding and righteous. Oh, thank you, God. Can you imagine? No. It's meant to be funny, right? Ridiculous. Thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers or even like this guy right here. Can you imagine hearing that as the tax collector? The Pharisee goes on to even make the point, not only am I not sinful like all those people, I even take the extra step of fasting twice a week and giving a tenth of my income just to prove to everybody that I'm better. Not the right way to give or fast, is it? Now the tax collector, standing far off, reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel with the, the father watching a far way off, seeing his son coming back. So I wonder if that's how God is looking for this tax collector in the parable. The tax collector standing far off, away from the altar of the temple, we might presume, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating on his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I've blown it again and again. I keep doing it, God. I'm a sinner. It's only your mercy that's going to save me. Be merciful. I think we know this experience of beating our breast in a lot of ways, but one of my favorite is a verse of amazing grace. I can look out when we're singing this verse, and I can see that my tears are matched by many other tears as we sing this song. If you know the words, you can say them along with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Tears. Tears. That experience of God's amazing grace, God's mercy in our life. We feel God's merciful action and it brings us to tears. Now given what's going on in the world around us, I think it's apropos to use a baseball metaphor this morning. What do y'all think? Anybody watching any games lately? Anybody into this World Series? I've been reading this book, Waking Up White, with the Sacred Ground conversation groups here. There's 26 of us reading this and many other pieces about white privilege and the sin of racism. And there's a baseball metaphor in here that really hit home. I'm not great with sports metaphors, but even I got it, right? <laughs> so in this book, Waking Up White and Finding Myself in the Story of Race by Debbie Irving, I'm reading along with her, and so much of what she is sharing just is so relatable for me, and painful, too. Makes me want to fall on my knees and beat my breast and ask for God's mercy that I have sinned without even being aware of it sometimes. There's just so much to atone for. Now, Debbie Irving, the author, comes from Winchester, Massachusetts, and I've been to Winchester, and I have a friend who was a rector there. I know something of that community. It's pretty affluent. It's, you know, that kind of New England, upper crust place. And so she's got a very particular way of growing up white and waking up white to all that that community of Winchester, Massachusetts offered her. So when she uses this baseball metaphor, I've got to tell you what came to mind. She says that a lot of the folks she grew up with, herself included, were born on third, but thought they hit a triple. 
Got it? Yeah? You're born on third base, but the lie you tell yourself all the time is, I earned this base. I hit this triple. No, you didn't. You were born on third, my friend. That's what she's telling us. So I'm reading that, not having grown up in Upper Crust, Winchester, Massachusetts, and I tell myself as I read this well. I grew up in working class Chino, California, so I wasn't born on third base. I was only born on second, maybe first. I am employing some arrogance in my comparison of not wanting to feel the level of privilege of being white. Do you see how this trap works and functions? This constant urge to compare oneself and to come out more righteous? Very, very pervasive and subtle. White privilege is that pervasive, oft unseen experience of having access to flourishing that is routinely denied to people of color and might have nothing to do with how hard you've worked. It's rooted in an unspoken belief that one color of skin is superior in so many ways to any other color of skin. And this book helps to expose the trap of that, how arrogant, how obnoxious that is. And that's the trap of this teaching. There is a way out in this parable, and we'll get there. But there is this trap in this parable that Jesus teaches us. If we think to ourselves, I would never pray like that, like that Pharisee, I'm way better than that, then we have fallen into the clever trap again. I want to say this trap does include thinking of ourselves with contempt, comparing ourselves to others and always finding that we come up short is a type of contempt that is not God's design for you or for me. Renee Brown says that comparison is the thief of happiness. We can't be happy if we are constantly comparing ourselves to one another and coming out lesser than or better than. Just stop. Stop comparing ourselves. Find our way out of the trap. I also like this quote by Rick Warren, because this is part of our way out. It's about humility, finding a humble posture. Humility, according to Rick Warren, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? Not putting yourself down, because that's still contempt. But just not thinking about yourself so often, like you're the focus of everything. When we compare ourselves constantly to another person, we are the focus. It's not humble. Right? The key to staying clear of the trap of comparison and contempt is how we posture our, our souls towards God. Are we like the Pharisee thinking that we've done it? Or are we like the tax collector? who knows it is God's action, not human action, that saves. Did I do these things? Did I acquire all of this goodness in my life, or did God do this? Yes, I worked hard at various points with the gifts that God gave me, but really it's all a gift from God. Try not to take so much credit for it, right? Be grateful to God for the areas of our lives where we are flourishing, give, credit where credit is due, and that is always to God. 
We can say thank you to God for a dry home and a warm home on a wet day like today without stopping to think who has a nicer, warmer home or a less nice, warm home than us. We can be in this lovely worship space and look around and thank God for this place to worship without comparing it to nicer worship spaces because we do that sometimes as people of faith. We can say thank you to God for our health without comparing ourselves to somebody else who's healthier or less healthy. Say thank you to God for all the ways that we are blessed, for loving us even though we are morally ambiguous creatures. Without listing all of the Mother Teresas we can say are better than us, or pointing to the violent drug cartel types who we would say are worse. We don't need to do all that comparing. We just say thank you to God. Without trying to do all this sort of analysis, creating a scatter plot of everybody else so we know where to put ourselves. God has already decided where to put us. It's not up to us. And that's the posture, understanding that God has already done it for us. Way before you and I walked this earth, God decided, not us, God decided to be merciful. God decided to be a merciful God before we ever existed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God decided to be merciful. God's mercy is so much bigger than us, so much bigger than our sin of comparing and contempt, bigger than anyone's sin. When we pray, as we will do collectively together in the prayers of the people, we will come before God in a particular posture. The posture in the prayer book is to either kneel or stand, if you are able, because that's what you do in front of royalty, right? You don't sit down and chill in front of the king or queen. You stand up, you know, alert and aware as they sit on a throne in front of you. There's another metaphor for us. Or you get on your knees in a humble posture. And so we will stand typically at this service together. And we will, we will stand and we will humbly petition God to bring about the flourishing of the world. We will pray for our neighbors both the ones with bigger homes than us, they deserve our prayers. Everyone does. And the ones with smaller homes than us. We will pray for our leaders, the ones who demonstrate contempt, and the ones who lead in humility. We will pray for the earth, for an end to human suffering, for those we love, for our neighbors, for our enemies, we pray in great humility. And that's our way out of the trap. As we pray, we harness that tax collector posture. That tax collector who beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, the tax collector is morally ambiguous for sure because he's collecting taxes. But we also don't have any resolution or conversion in the parable. We don't know if after he beats his breast and says to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, if he changes his ways. We don't know that, right? He might go back to collecting taxes, to extorting his neighbors. We don't really resolve that. That's okay. 
That's part of our way out of the trap, not needing nice, clean answers, but sticking with the posture of humility anyway. As we pray today, we aren't going to necessarily pray perfectly. We're going to pray faithfully and with humility. And then we're going to do this really humble thing and move right into confession. Embodying the good news we believe so fiercely that God forgives us, that God will continue to forgive us, that it is God's very nature, in fact, to be forgiving of us, and that we will, by the grace of God, grow into a more faithful and less contemptuous way of existing in this life by the mercy of God's grace alone. Amen. Amen.